Hey, welcome to the Default Alive podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Chris. And this is our audio documentary of our journeys building profitable internet businesses. And so if this is your first time listening, you can learn more about us and get up to speed by starting at episode number one. But if you're a regular, welcome back. All right, we're back after our long two-week hiatus after uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah, did you did you have a good Thanksgiving? Eat some turkey? Yeah, ate a lot. Uh, we do the the split Thanksgiving, two Thanksgiving kind of deal with both of our families since they're both local here in San Diego. So, and we haven't really figured out like the best way. We kind of just like roll with it a little bit because they're like basically at the same time, but we kind of just like jump from one to the next. So I go with my, with my side of the family at like four and then we eat like, you know, a dinner at four and then around like seven, we go to my wife's family and then we eat a second dinner like right away. (laughs) So we just like, you know, and my family wouldn't care that much, but her family for sure would be like mad if we didn't eat a lot or if we didn't like, you know, uh, if we sort of like skipped. So we just have to like portion control at my family and then go all out at her family just to make sure that there's no questions about, (laughs) you know, (laughs) how much food we have and what we're eating and stuff. But it was fun. It was good. Ended up being a late night and, uh, it's a good time off slept in. We ended up staying up really, really late with her family, just kind of playing games and talking and stuff like that. So Friday, well, yeah, Friday and Saturday morning, I guess we didn't get home until like three o'clock both nights. Um, oh wow! And then we slept in, and it was very, very unproductive. But it was a good time. <laughs> yeah, and I, I couldn't tell you the last time I stayed up till three a.m. Not, <laughs> not for you know waking up in the middle of the night to feed a baby. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. That's impressive. I couldn't tell you the last time I was up at three a.m. doing anything besides sleeping. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. What about you? Cool. How's yours? Yeah, we we have the uh, opposite situation where we have no family here. Uh, mm. So it's just my wife uh, and our son, his first Thanksgiving, which was super fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, it was actually pretty cool. We ordered food. Um, it was like a prepared meal from a restaurant, and all we had to do was mm. throw everything in the oven. So I had like turkey, all the sides and everything. Um, so we did that, which was really fun and easy. Amazing. And then we ended up with like, way too way too many leftovers um <laughs> basically ate, ate thanksgiving for four days straight yeah um, yeah but it was good yeah i know we uh my wife makes her like signature dishes are uh, a sweet potato casserole and mac and cheese and both of those we took home we ended up taking home like more than half the plates the next day so we've been eating those all weekend long as our lunches and like <laughs> our sides for our dinners. Um, and we finally just ran out yesterday. Nice. Yeah. It's always fun. Well, Those we've had, been in. Yeah. Yeah. Two we, weeks. We, I mean, we we're just talking about it, but I feel like I haven't really, there isn't like a ton to update on, um, which is funny, but I don't know, just sort of the way things are this time of year. But, right. uh, I wanted to make more progress on marketing like a media company and recording course content. The first, that first week when I ended up like getting all those videos done, I think it was a mix of like the topics were really top of mind. And so it was easy for me to just like crank out the slide material and then just kind of like riff on video. This next module is a lot more like prescriptive and, um, like, you know, how do you leverage your website and podcasts and newsletters and like all the owned platforms for audience growth, uh, to market like a media company. And it's a lot, like, it's a lot more intense and detailed. And so, uh, I started working the slides and then worked more on the slides and then more on the slides. And so now this week, I'm, I think I'm finally going to record that section. Um, but, uh, I haven't, I haven't recorded another one since then. Um, just cause but there's been a lot to prep on. And, um, but otherwise, uh, secured. So I actually sent out the contracts and the payment sort of like instructions for 
uh, three premium sponsors. So I'm just trying wow. to lock down one more. And yeah, That's it's amazing. Been, it's been a breeze. It's been really great. Also, shout out to Clearbit. I need to give them like an official Twitter shout out. But um, a couple of them were asking about like the audience demographics and kind of firmographics for the Spy Files, you know, newsletter list and community and stuff like that. And I was like, well, I think it's, you know, mainly these types of people. And you can sort of like see this within the titles or just like the general kind of sentiment for what I see. But I couldn't really like quantify it all that much. And I was like, I need to do a better job of this. Like, that's not really like super acceptable. Um, mm. So I thought about running a survey and then I was like, oh, like this is so like, it's such basic information. Like I just need to like run like a domain or like an email address through something that can tell me basic information. Uh, so I kind of put out a feeler on Twitter and I knew that Clearbit did something like this. I wasn't sure if it did exactly this, but actually a Spy Files member actually works at Clearbit. He was like, Hey, I'd be happy to run a report for you for free um, in exchange for a shout out. Uh, and so he ran like a whole report through just like exported my newsletter list and then ran it through there. And it came back with all this amazing data that like wow. perfectly confirmed everything that I like thought and suspected. But it was like, sweet. Now we can actually quantify here the company sizes, revenue sizes, the general types of people, their roles, seniority levels, um, locations, um, even like technology that they use. And so I was just like, here <laughs> to all the sponsors. And wow. that really, really, really helped. Um, so that was a big one and big shout out to them. Um, uh, I'll give him a shout out, but his name is Zach and he's a product manager at Clearbit. And he's like, yeah, I've been wondering how we can like better serve creators with Clearbit data. Mm. And it's actually a really interesting kind of use case. So that was a big one. Trying to lock down the fourth. Uh, fingers crossed, I have a couple leads there, but we'll see who actually ends up pulling the trigger there. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. And then really the last thing has just been the Black Friday, Cyber Monday kind of results. I had a slight hiccup with the sign-up link because um, basically my creator mastermind right before they recommended against offering a trial and instead offering like a generous kind of refund policy. And I've, I've kind of wanted to experiment with, with not having a trial also. So I was like, this is a good time with member stacks, uh, limitations and not being able to offer a trial and a coupon at the same time. I was like, well, it's black Friday. Like I have to offer a coupon. So like if I'm going to have to choose between them, I'm going to offer a coupon instead of a trial. Um, but then I forgot to publish on Webflow. <laughs> so I swapped oh, it no. out, but it actually wasn't like live. I can't remember. There was like some last minute change that I was going to make on the page that I was like, well, I'll like publish this once it's there. It had to do with like the pricing. I was, I was going back and forth on like how to show the discount or like the coupon on the page, whether I should like include it there or not. And then I got forgotten. So anyways, it ended up not being that big of a deal. A bunch of people started trial and then were like, Hey, I can't apply the coupon. So I just applied it manually. Um, mm -hmm. but I've had quite a few people take me up on that. Um, it's been good to see. It's hard to really gauge or tell like what to expect from this right now, especially since I just did, you know, the big price increase. And I think like used a lot of that kind of pent up, uh, potential or like you know, fence sitters that people are right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the trust battery is kind of used up right now for anyone who's like was on the fence for spy files. Um, there's still, still been a few and they're at their higher price point. So it makes a bigger difference. And, uh, overall pretty happy with them. I'm going to send one more email this Friday, uh, as a, like a final reminder before the next price increase. Also offering the discount, might also throw in like a free landing page teardown, just to kind of sweeten the pot and see who wants to take me up on that. Um, but uh, yeah, those are the major things. Cool. Yeah. I'm shocked at how quickly you landed the sponsors. Me too. I know. I was kind of like, you know, they were like, all right, well, like send me the, you know, contract when you're ready. And I was like, oh, yeah. Um, cool. I guess I should like figure out how to do that. <laughs> I should and, get a contract. Uh, I, Right. Yeah. Like I was like, 
I don't know. It still feels like early. Like, shouldn't this like be taking longer? And like, shouldn't I just, don't you have more questions? I don't know. It ended up being really easy. Uh, and then I signed up for Ruben Gomez's um, Signwell, which is actually a tiny seed company, by the way. I didn't know that until I was sort of looking into it. But um, Signwell made it super easy to uh, upload my Google Doc and make it an official contract and then get signatures and uh, send the wire instructions as well, which ends up being, I don't know if I talked about it here, but I was kind of wondering about like the best way to collect payment for these types of things since Stripe takes a hefty mm. fee <laughs> and turns out that a wire transfer is fairly common for these types of things. So um, that's made my life easier. But nice. uh, yeah, and then I was like, all right, well, you know, it's going to be like a couple of weeks before I have like an official like plan for how to get up and running here. But like it's coming. It's just, you know, <laughs> I don't have it like ready because <laughs> it's, it's gone quicker than I expected. Yeah. Is, is that basically probably rolling out beginning of next year? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the plan is to like hit the ground running January 1st, have all the like sponsorship uh, exposure out there, like in the emails, in the office hours, in the community, on the website, like it all be there. So I just need to like collect some materials, kind of do some proof of concept stuff to them, you know, in like early December. So like, you know, the next two weeks ish. And then, you know, over the Christmas break, I can basically just like upload that. So it's all ready to go by January 1st. Nice. Sounds like pretty big two weeks then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, definitely like the amount of like effort for reward has been astronomical. Cause it feels like I haven't been like doing all that much, but, uh, definitely like money wise. <laughs> it's been, it's been nice two weeks. Yeah. I wonder if you, yeah. So I wonder if you have the same type of feeling where, if you're like the the one thing you said you kind of wanted to focus on was the marketing like a media company course and you know creating all that material and that's like very heavy thought creative work uh so like a lot of times programmers and i get this way too it's like you don't feel like you had a productive day if you weren't writing code mm. uh, you know and so yeah. there's like weeks where i don't you know i barely write any code and sometimes i look back and i'm like was that really productive week? But, you know, doing other like high value activities or, or focusing on marketing or whatever it is. Um, so I wonder if maybe it's somewhat similar for you, uh, doing stuff like creating courses and whatnot. Totally. Yeah. I, I always measure it back to like content creation. Yeah. Sort of like progress with what people are like seeing at the end of the day. Um, yeah, that's totally true. Yeah. So yeah, those are the big things for me. I'll, I'll, I'll chime in with one other thing, uh, later. Um, it's not like an update necessarily, but just a, a fun fact, but, uh, what's been up with you? How the last two weeks been for you? Cool. Yeah. Uh, last two weeks have been pretty good. So let's see two weeks ago, no code conf happened, oh, yeah. uh, which was, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty Man. exciting. Um, feels yeah now it already feels like it was like a while ago but uh <laughs> definitely some big webflow announcements we all uh we were kind of joking that it felt more like webflow conf than no code conf um <laughs> <laughs> hmm. but they are the hosts and uh you know that makes sense so yeah it was uh you know for for anyone that didn't attend they announced uh, webflow is going to be supporting memberships natively built into the platform so uh, who knows in the future, you may not need something like member stack with, uh, Webflow. Yeah. And th that was, that was probably the biggest announcement. Um, there was a couple of announcements around, uh, how some of their plans are going to work moving forward, which has potentially some impact on how JetBoost works. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I'm trying to get a little more insider information there, uh, cause I don't have much right now. Um, but just trying to prepare like for that access to projects and account, mm -hmm. uh, like, like billing kind of stuff, like who has access to what? Yep. Yeah. So, 
Uh, right now there are basically individual plans and team plans. Uh, the team plans are, I would say, less commonly used. I mean, I don't know. People say that they're too expensive, um, hmm. which is what it is. We, we have a team plan for JetBoost. Uh, it's it's fine. <laughs> uh, there, there are definitely some limitations that are annoying, but uh, it works well enough to, to collaborate with multiple people. Uh, but it sounds like that's maybe going away and they're moving more towards this like workspaces model where you can just invite other people to come work on your projects. Uh, so hmm. that has potentially some impact on how you uh, we use like their their OAuth integration to uh, basically pull in Webflow projects into JetBoost and I would imagine it's going to impact that but I haven't heard anything from from any of the of the, uh, the developers or project managers there so uh, definitely reaching out to, to see what's going on with that and you know <laughs> It's uh, it's funny. I, I was listening to um, Product Journey earlier today, and uh, Noah, who runs Potion So, was uh, which is like a uh, website builder for Notion. He he was talking about how he's like constantly, you know, uh, dealing with. And, and I think Notion changes a lot more rapidly than Webflow does at this point. Oh. Um, but dealing with like Notion changes and, and scrambling to to fix things, or uh, you know, change how Potion yeah. works or whatever. And uh, I was listening to that. And I was like. Yeah, it can definitely relate how like sometimes things that happen, you know, on the platform that are out of your control and you you just have to react. So trying to get ahead of this one, but we'll see. Right, right. It's just kind of a scramble. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely nice if you can get that info ahead of time. Yeah. Which seems reasonable. I feel like, well, I was going to ask about their, their whole like, I don't know, app marketplace or extension plugin ecosystem that they sort of have alluded to in the past, but like this feels like the type of thing, you know, where it starts to be beneficial to like communicate these things ahead of time. If they, if they did want to move in that direction, but I don't know, I haven't heard anything about that in a while. So yeah, I mean, at, at no code conf. There wasn't, uh, they didn't mention it all, uh, really, hmm. uh, app stores or marketplaces or anything like that. Um, I think it's probably still a couple years off, but I know they are making a lot of internal changes to build the platform in a more extensible way, uh, both so that they can push out features faster and then eventually allow third-party devs as well. So I I know that's a huge focus for them, but it's, I mean, it's a huge product and that's a huge change. So I'm sure it'll take some time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, understandably. I can't believe that was already two weeks ago. I like totally forgot about, I yeah. was like excited <laughs> to tune in. And then we were like, oh, it's happening today. And I was like already in the middle of recording all the, uh, the course content and stuff and totally missed it. So kind of bummed. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. I, uh, <laughs> funny enough, I, I actually was moving that day. Uh, we were, we were moving apartments. Um, so <laughs> it was a bit of a chaotic day. Uh, but it all worked um, out. I was able to attend the, the sessions in the morning and then we moved in the afternoon. Um, and I kind of figured like there wasn't going to be a whole lot of networking going on cause it's, it's just hard to do online. Um, yeah. And that's basically yeah. how it turned out. So, uh, yeah, mm. didn't end up missing too much. Well, that's good. I'm glad it worked out in hindsight, maybe worked out the best, uh, that it was online and not in person. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, but I, I probably also, wouldn't have moved on the day. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. If it was in person, but yeah, definitely made yeah. things easier. Yeah. I, I will say the, uh, I mean, I almost totally forgot about this now. Uh, the coolest thing that happened was they showed this slide of, they were talking about like no code, how it's changing things and showed the slide of all these no code companies and JetBoost was on there. And I was, I was shocked. Uh, it was like Gumroad, Notion, you know, Bubble, like these huge, huge companies. Um, that's crazy. Had Jeff, I, it was, it was insane. I, I was like, seriously, like, wow. It's <laughs> um, a good company. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, 
I don't know. It, the slide was up there for a few seconds, like maybe three, four seconds at the most. Uh, so, you know, it's not like someone's like seeing JetBoost and wondering what it is and going and, you know, Googling it or anything. But it was more just that the fact that like somebody, whoever put the slide together, like thought of JetBoost and, and thought to put us mm-hmm. up there was, uh, it was cool. It, it was a really cool experience. And um, I don't know, that that was yeah. like, that was definitely a, a fun part of the experience for me. Man, Notion, Zapier, uh, Airtable, maybe JetBoost is going to announce, uh, you're finally going to announce the $100 million raise at a billion dollar valuation <laughs> next week. <laughs> Got oh, VCs man. banging down your tour. <laughs> yeah, probably not, but... Um... <laughs> It's, it is funny though, speaking of VCs, like I get emails from time to time, just like all, I think, uh, you know, I've heard other founders do as well. And I, I always have a hard time knowing like how serious someone is or, uh, you know, regardless, it doesn't matter. Cause like, I'm not looking to raise any more money. Um, but every once in a while, there's one where I'm like either, whether they like did a little bit more research or, you know, where it's. You're like, okay, this might not be just like mass spam. Um, hmm. I got one of those recently. It was, it was a little before no code conf. And I was like, all right, I might talk to this guy and just see what's up. And then I, I didn't get a chance to reply for a couple of days. He sent me like a follow-up and they sent me another follow-up. And like when it was all said oh. and done, he had sent me five <laughs> emails before I had responded. Oh. I was just like, come on, man. It's been like, it was like within a week. Uh, oh. So... I don't know. Dead giveaway. I, I, that turned me off. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, it's so funny how, how quickly that changed, right? You're like, oh, this doesn't seem like an automated email. And then it's yeah. like, bam, follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up. And then all of a sudden it becomes yeah. very apparent. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Definitely no $100 million raise anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> if you really wanted to, though. All you have to do is take that screenshot and then you just <laughs> send some emails around. That's all you Put need. Put in a nice slide deck and uh, right. yeah, show some. Grab your MRR chart from your swipe files landing page and <laughs> right. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that was cool. That that took up a lot of time, a lot more time than I expected. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know it. Last week was obviously a short week and end of the year is coming up, of course, much faster than it always seems like it will. And we are, uh, it seems like every week, no and I meet at the beginning of the week, we're just slashing scope for, for our end of the year goals, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which, which is totally fine. I'd rather be realistic than, um, you know, have a bunch of items on the list that clearly aren't going to get done. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's it feels like it's like we're kind of winding things down a little bit for through the end of the year, and uh, then we've got one major marketing initiative that we're working on right now, which go into detail maybe a little more in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but other than that, yeah, just trying to trying to get through the end of the year. I know it's here, man. It's crazy. Yeah. Can't even believe it. Uh, yeah, it's weird. I think it's yeah, it's totally fine to like slow down, relax. I don't know, slash the scope. It's like yeah. I think the one thing I was thinking about this last week was I was like, it doesn't really matter if what I get done before the end of the year because <laughs> January is going to roll around, and then I'm going to be like all right, what are we doing this year? Like there's just gonna be this whole, you know, big long list and ambitious goals. And like, no matter what I do this next month, that's not going to change. It's not going to change if I have those things done before then I would like to, right. It's always like good to feel like you've done it. And I don't know, you're sort of like pushing yourself, but at the end of the day, it's really not that big of a difference at all. Like it feels like, Oh, it's the next year, but like it's the Mm -hmm. next month. And like, what is one of my month? it's it's nothing yeah no i totally agree it's like going from december 31st to january 1st is just another 
day really right. uh, yeah at the same time like it is nice to have that uh just sort of the the marker of okay it's new year uh kind of forces you to take a step back and review the previous year and yeah and like you said plan for the next year but um don't be too too worried about trying to fit everything in yeah just trying to cram at the end of the year it's like nah who cares <laughs> i'm also realizing too i'm like well how much attention am i going to have this last month like people are starting mm-hmm. to go you know on vacation checking out checking off social media closing up their you know books putting away the credit card so you know i can still like do stuff but i'm not going to be like in a rush to like get it out and publicly you know promote it and stuff like that because it's it really, I mean, there's probably like a two week window from like today and then it's kind of like, yeah. we're all really ramping down. Yeah. Last year I remember December was really slow for JetBoost, both, uh, you know, like revenue metrics, but also just like support and emails and all of that was, was mm-hmm. way, way down. Um, yeah. and even this year, November first two weeks were really good and then it's just like dropped off. Mm. Uh, the the latter half of the month so um, yeah it's just that time of the year it's that time of the year but exciting yeah. stuff coming up lots to uh, lots to wrap up still right so we're not quite there yet <laughs> yeah what else is top of mind anything else uh, new or noteworthy um, let's see. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> coming into the, uh, recording this today, I, I have like a lot of random different thoughts floating around in my head that aren't fully formed yet. Um, so we'll see if they come out this week or, or maybe give it another week. Uh, one, <laughs> one thing though, along the lines of just like sort of winding down ish for, for the next few weeks. Um, I've really been thinking a lot about well, first of all, I really want to just rewrite the entire JetBoost code base, which I think I've alluded to before. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know that's not the solution. Um, I know that would be a big mistake and would take two or three times as long as I think it would. Uh, so we're not going to do that. But I have been thinking about how can we... The big issue right now and what I've learned this past year in working with other developers for the first time on it is we don't have any automated tests and it's it's much harder to onboard developers without that. And mm-hmm. it's even getting to the point now where like it's harder for me to make changes confidently uh, without that. Uh-huh. And I've never worked somewhere where automated testing was really a focus. Most Hmm. of the places I worked at had like manual QA testers. And so developers would write the code and then like hand it off to the QA team and they would like manually test it. Um, Which is like a bit more of an old school approach. And um, I still always wonder like how common testing actually like automated testing actually is because it gets talked about a lot, but I've, like I said, I've never worked somewhere where it was really practiced much. Um, But I do have a little bit of experience with it. I tried to champion it at one company and it never got too far. Um, But yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that for JetBoost. I started uh, putting together a testing framework uh, and experimenting with like what it would take to... uh, at least get like some key tests in place to, to test like the important behaviors. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's tricky with how JetBoost works and all these different features combined together. And there's all these different permutations. Uh, but I, I've started to make some pretty good progress there. And so I'm kind of thinking like, that's one thing I can do is sort of a, a secondary focus throughout the rest of this year. 
Um, hmm. it, it's tough. I, I, I really struggle with addressing technical debt and, you know, I put, I put this under that, that category, um, because I always want to be moving forward. I always want to be building new features and, uh, delivering more value for our customers. And, uh, I was talking about it with Noah today, like this, I know this is valuable, but it doesn't feel like it's really directly delivering value. Uh, right at least in the short term. And, you know, his, his argument was, yeah, but in the long term, like, you know, and I know this is true. Like we will move faster. We will be more confident with changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyways, I, I also, uh, ended up buying this really good book on testing and why you should do it. And it, it was like the first time I've, I've like really been convinced. Um, mm. <laughs> and I bought it solely because of this quote I saw from the book and it, it, it the book has really lived up to my expectations. Uh, basically like the author's opinion is that code without tests is bad code. Uh, it doesn't matter how well it's written. It doesn't matter how pretty it is, how well encapsulated it is. Uh, it's and that like really struck me because I, I, you know, I'm like, I strive to write like good, clean code. And, uh, but at the end of the day, like, even if I wrote good code two years ago, like it's been two years now and we don't have tests that are confirming the behavior of that code. And, oh, right. Um, right. So hmm. anyways, that's, that's my long, uh, rant about, about testing and, uh, where we're, <laughs> where I'm thinking about going with that. Uh, but yeah. Isn't, um, is it Matt Wensing who's big into testing or who is it? That's like in, there's some I know Derek developer is. founder. Oh, Derek. Oh, duh. It's Derek. It's for sure, Derek. Yeah. I yeah, was really surprised I when I... Go ahead. I was going to say, I don't I don't actually know a lot of what that means in practice. I sort of like conceptually understand what that means, but it's just hard for me to fathom like the actual implications of that. Uh, but I, I'd actually never even, before you mentioned it, drawn the parallel between like manual testing, like a, having like a QA person or sort of service uh versus automated tests i didn't even know that that was like an alternative or like those are two kind of different methods for the same thing yeah i mean they they can be used together as well but um there's a there's a lot now that you can do with automated tests um I mean, as far as like, if you zoom all the way out, you can have automated scripts that will like open up a browser and click around on the page and type in, you know, uh, mm. type words into input boxes and all that stuff. Um, or you can zoom all the way into like particular lines of code and, you know, functions in your code and write tests like to specifically test those lines of code. Um, That's so, so weird. It's like yeah. code for your code. Yeah. <laughs> what the heck? I think there's there's definitely a balance, you know, when when it's the very beginning, you're much less sure of how the software is supposed to work and what it's supposed to do. Like it is hard to write tests when you're figuring out do people want this? Uh right. what, what exactly do they want? What's it supposed to do? Uh you can spend a lot of time writing tests for code that you eventually throw away. Uh, which I don't think is good when you're in the like pre uh, product market fit days or in, in the very early like MVP days. Uh, but at some point, yeah, it's worth going back and addressing that. And I think probably with Jepus, I probably waited a little too long. Hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting. We've like briefly talked about it a little bit before, but I think I've heard some people talk about how, you know, your MVP should basically just be like thrown away. <laughs> like once you've <laughs> like validated yeah. whatever you want to learn, you just, you just like dump it and start over again. And it's, it sounds like it's kind of in that same line of thought of like, well, because it's not going to be like the cleanest code or it's not going to be test driven code, or it's not going to be, you know, you just want to like validate that this is something worth pursuing. You don't want to waste time building something, 
yeah, it's just so weird. Like you don't want to waste, you don't want to waste time early on, uh, building, you know, too many tests and sort of over-engineering because then that will like take longer to, you find the thing that does work that is validated, but then also you don't want to, uh, you know, write bad code and, or sort of just like hodgepodge connect things together so that later it costs you long-term kind of productivity. But, you know, it seems like there's a very like fine balance or it's, you know, more of an art than a science of like where that line is and what you include or what you scrap when, and I don't know. It's a lot. Yeah, no, it totally is. Do you know what they did at bare metrics? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they threw away all of Josh's code and restarted uh, at least once, maybe even twice. Mm. I know huh. for sure the Stripe integration in particular, which is kind of like the you know cornerstone main uh, starting point for everything, was rewritten at least twice, maybe even three times. And I think even for a certain feature, like basically every... Every like feature upgrade was kind of like just redo the feature from scratch, essentially. Like when it was like recover and cancellation insights, forecasting, um, even some like the dashboard kind of upgrades around segmentation. It was like starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's yeah, really that's- the same thing. It's hard for me to tell. Well, that's one of the tricky things about Jetboost is even if I wanted to, we can't really start from scratch uh, Mm. because we have thousands of people who have set it up on their Webflow sites and set it up using the process and instructions that we provided. And so even if we did want to start from scratch and do it a different way, all we'd be doing then is like having, we'd end up with like a legacy version and we'd still have to maintain that code. And then we'd end up with right. like the new version and the new way of doing it. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's tricky. And, and that's what Basecamp has done. Although mm-hmm. recently I think they announced that they are not doing that anymore, mm. which is interesting, but you know, they had all the different, what the latest one is like Basecamp four or something. Right. Mm-hmm. But and they're obviously working at like ginormous scale as well. So I would assume there's some sort of benefit to that because you just maybe, like you said, you can't really make changes as iteratively, iteratively as you'd like to. Um, but I could see the merit of like, here's the old version. Here's the new version. Old version will be supported for so long. Then we're going to migrate everyone and it's sort of, you know, rinse and repeat every two years or three years or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think for like their situation or most traditional SaaS, like that could work and could make sense. I just don't feel like we even have the option to migrate people. Mm, right. Because it's it's different. Yeah, there's such a disconnect between like what our product does and, and where it actually lives. Like it lives in the Webflow project. Uh, mm. and it, you know, a lot of times it's, it could be a freelancer, uh, an agency building a Webflow project for a client. They set up JetBoost. Maybe that was a year ago. Maybe there's no longer a relationship there. And it's like, well, you know, now we have to go tell the client, like, here's this tool that was set up for you that you've never, you know, maybe you logged in to, to put your, your right. billing information. Um, but now you have to migrate to this new version. Like that's, we're not going to do that. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but yeah, so I think it makes sense to, you know, even though it is definitely, uh, evolved out of the MVP and, and we never did throw the code away. Um, <laughs> just to try to, you know, do our, do our best with, with what we have. So. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like the right path to me. I don't know. Just from my very, very limited understanding of (laughs) how things work and, you know, the approach and sort of pros and cons to each side, uh, feels like the right option for whatever that's worth. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And um, I can't remember if I mentioned the name of the book or not, but we should definitely link to it in case anyone is interested in in learning more about testing. It's uh, working effectively with legacy code. I want to say by Uh. Michael Feathers, maybe. Um, But yeah, we we can link to it because, yeah, it's one of the best books about testing I've read. Cool. Yeah, we'll have that linked there. Cool. Yeah, what about you? What else is uh, going on? Uh, really nothing work-related, but I just have to mention it because I feel like it's part of um, Default Alive Bingo these days of Corey mentioning something crypto-related. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll tell you about my latest crypto adventure. Um, there, were, Did you see everything going on with the uh, the Constitution DAO? Yes. Okay. I saw like, quick how they raised for any- a lot of... Yeah. Yeah. So quick recap for anyone who wasn't following along or maybe to fill in some gaps, but, uh, basically it's like he was anonymous for a while. Then this one guy sort of put together this group of people who then reached out to some notable, noble people in crypto and were like, Hey, there's going to be an auction for one of the 11 remaining copies of the constitution, uh, up for auction by Sotheby's. I think it's how it's pronounced. And it's the first time in 33 years, the old, like, uh, I forget what they call them, like stewards, you know, they, they have like, since it's like a preserved piece of, you know, art or artifact or whatever it is, like, there's like a special title for people who actually like buy it and hold it. But, um, like the original owner died and now the, the wife is selling it anyways. So they were like, Oh, let's raise a bunch of money to, uh, to buy it. And then like the Dow will sort of govern, you know, what we do with it and make certain decisions. Um, there was sort of some interesting, like between the lines, you know, people didn't, you didn't actually own the piece of the constitution. You owned sort of like the, the, the voting rights for what you would do with it, but it was a very like limited array of options anyways. <laughs> so it's, I mean, I think it was a lot more like hype and excitement than it, than it was kind of practical and, uh, and functional. They ended up raising, I think $47 million. The problem is that everyone else knew how much, they raised. And so people basically just, uh, I I forget how the auction system works, but what happened was the final count got leaked to another buyer. Uh, and then that buyer sort of just like outbid very, very marginally, I think by like $10 or something. Oh, um, the cost constitution Dow for the constitution. And I think it was, so it was Citadel CEO. I think his name was Ken Griffin. I want to say, something like that. And, uh, he was also like public enemy number one early in the year because <laughs> they were the ones who were doing all the, um, what was it called? Order. Uh, it's basically where like where they get all the trade details from Robin hood before the trades go through. Uh, I forget what it's called. It's order something. Um, so anyways, everyone's like, Oh, this is the guy who's like messing everything up. And they're the ones that basically, you know, halted all the meme stocks and the wall street bets and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. he's the one who bought the constitution Dow. So anyways, wh- what do you do with the $47 million I contributed? So what they did was, um, for the Dow, you have to issue tokens and those tokens represent your proportion proportionate, uh, ownership or sort of rights for voting towards whatever the thing that the Dow is stewarding. So what they did was they, uh, they minted a token called the people token and, uh, they issued 1 million tokens per one ETH that you contributed. So I contributed 0.05 ETH. It was like 200 bucks worth or $150, whatever the price was back then. I can't remember. And I got 50,000 people coins. Um, but then it ended, I was sort of like, well, I don't expect to see this money ever again. I'm not going to like really follow up with it or any, you know, I, I purposely contributed very little because I knew it probably wasn't going to go anywhere. And also I was kind of skeptical that maybe it was a scam anyways. And I just wanted to kind of protect myself from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't, it was totally legit. But what happened was that people were like, well, you know, what if we want to do something with this? So they ended up giving people two options. You could, uh, you could claim your people token and, and then automatically convert it back to Ethereum for a refund minus the gas fees. 
Or you could claim the people token and then trade or sell it on another platform on a DEX like Uniswap or Sushi or like one of the major basically places where you can swap any token of any kind that's whatever they they support. Uh, and so people started claiming it and then selling it and a lot of people were buying and it created basically like a price squeeze for the coin. And so it shot up to like 13 cents a coin all the way from essentially zero from, you know, point zero 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 one. Uh, so then everyone's like, Oh my gosh, like <laughs> we're rich, especially the people who like contributed a lot because there's all these speculators who are buying up the coin to try to resell later, kind of manipulate the market a little bit. So, uh, Friday night, again, after coming back from my wife's parents' house really late, uh, we get home and I'm looking at Twitter and I see someone screenshot the price of the people token at 13 cents. And I was like, I was like, wait, I have 50,000 of those. How much is that? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, holy crap. I need to sell these before because there, there's literally no functional value in them anymore. I could try to hold on for later and like wait for the price to rise even more. But at that point it was already like a substantial amount of money. It was like, it was like six grand. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to take this as my Christmas present to myself for sure. So then I like rushed and I went through all the different, I had no idea what to do. And I figured out, okay, I need to claim and then resell and then, you know, transfer here, transfer there. Okay. Now let's go through, let's see what, you know, wasn't supported on a sushi. You had to go to Uniswap. Oh, I need to buy more Ethereum to make the gas fees, uh, you know, make the transaction go through anyways, really long story long. Uh, I ended up selling my original $150 contrib- contribution for $7,300. Wow. <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. And it's totally selfish of me because like, I don't know, there's going to be a rug pull somewhere. The price has already dropped. I yeah, think I no sold it sense. at the height. Yeah. I sold it at the height of 14 cents or a little over 14 cents. I wow. think now it's back to like six cents or something, um, which is like still astronomically high. But uh, I saw someone even today who was like, yeah, I contributed $50,000 worth of Ethereum and no one, I like, I didn't know that I could like resell it. So he just like got his refund, but oh no, it was worth over a million dollars. Oh no. Uh, there honestly, there probably wasn't even that much like liquidity for that amount. Yeah. Maybe there was, but you know, you never know. I uh, could have made like a huge kind of shock in the price. But anyways, that's my, uh, that's my win from the last week. A nice, uh, nice Christmas present to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's so funny. I, I had a call earlier today. Uh, and one of the guys, he's a, he's a SAS founder and, uh, you know, he's bootstrapping and all of that. And he was saying how like, all of his friends are into crypto and, and he hasn't really, you know, crypto web three, he hasn't mm. done a whole lot in that yet, uh, you know, a little bit. Um, but he's like, yeah, I'm over here like trying to bootstrap my SAS and all my friends are just getting rich off of crypto. And like, that's it <laughs> you know? Do it for nothing. Right. It's just for like, nothing. Yeah. Making, yeah. <laughs> it like, it oh, really man. is so bizarre because, um, my, one of my new favorite podcasts is, uh, not investment advice with, um, Jack Butcher, Trung Fan, and uh, Bilal Zaidi. And so Trung is a writer for The Hustle. He's a really like funny, out-there guy. Jack Butcher, really, really into crypto. Bilal, like, somewhere in the middle, podcast host, um, does his own thing, does marketing. And uh, I don't think Trung said it, but, but Trung pointed me to it where someone was like, like, the worst... The like, or like the crazier, like the prospect, or like the oh no, it was the dumber, the the trade or the investment, like the better the returns. It was basically like what what's like the <laughs> the most wild, insane thing you could do. Like that's gonna be the most profitable thing for you. And honestly, since I've heard that, it's it's been true. It's like every single thing that you think like this isn't gonna work. This is the stupidest thing ever. I have no idea why this is happening. It's like all of a sudden it's just minting millionaires because of these wild crypto, you know, economic mechanics. And so it's the same thing with this constitution DAO. I was like, yeah, I'll donate a couple hundred bucks to this thing just to see what happens and kind of, 
and I had no idea it was going to turn into something that would, you know, give a 10,000% return or whatever it was, something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's like that example is crazy too. Cause that sounds to me like 100% tulip mania. Like the people token can't be used for anything now. Right. So it's no, it's literally it's just people buying, hoping to sell at a higher price. <laughs> it's, it's like insane. Yeah. Yeah, which is also why I don't want to be a part of it, right? I don't want to hold on to yeah. any people any people tokens. But I will gladly get rid of them, right? Because <laughs> I didn't buy them. I mean, I guess technically I did, but that wasn't really the original intent of yeah. what I was buying. Um, it really is wild. So between that and uh, ENS, things are looking up in my my crypto portfolio. I know. <laughs> I've got to say it's made a, a late, a late run here, but, uh, no complaints here. Yeah. That's, uh, you might, you might be facing the IRS tax man on your crypto gains. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way I'm pulling any of it out. There's no <laughs> way at all. They won't even see it or touch it. We'll, we'll cross that road when we get there. There's going to be something relatively soon. You know, there's already like, the problem is that there's nothing they can even like remotely track all this stuff. Uh, I think like BlockFi is working on ways and there's some other companies that are making it easier to basically like give transparency for when the government does start to really poke around into all this kind of stuff. But for right now it's all staying in the wallet. It's uh it's safe in the mm-hmm. wallet <laughs> at least for now. <laughs> nice. But that's it for me. My, that's my, Hopefully, I won't have another crypto rant next week. <laughs> we'll see what else I get myself into. Hey, I hope you come back next week and it's uh, 50K this time. <laughs> right. <I know. laughs> on, your, on your next scheme. <laughs> you know, yeah, the worst part of it all is that, you know, you're trying to, like, be smart and you're trying to really yeah. limit your losses, right? So, I'm like, oh, I'm only going to put $150 in there. But I'm like, holy mackerel, if I would have just put in right. a couple thousand, I would right. have, you know, I could pay for a house. It's just right. ridiculous. So you try to be smart and they end up getting penalized. So of course I tell my wife and I'm like, Hey, we have $7,300 that we didn't have before. And so I'm telling her how she happened. She's like, why didn't you put in more? I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> I was donating money to a super sketchy DAO. You know, so we don't even know what a DAO is, but just gotta take your yeah. W's. <laughs> oh man. It'll be, it'll be interesting well, to see what happens with all this. Yeah, I know it. It feels like inevitably there has to be something that happens, some sort of bubble pop. I, the more I listen to other people talk about it, and the more I'm like in it, I really don't think so. It's just so like wild and bizarre. But I think it really is just like the new paradigm. And even between like you look at look back at some of the parallels with like the the dot com kind of boom and bust, but like there was wild stock trading happening for like 30 years before that. (laughs) Like that was really like, it was, it was basically like the advent of, uh, derivatives and margin. And then everyone started going nuts on, on day trading. And it happened for a long, long, long time before there was any sort of catastrophic bubble or, or bust. Um, it's also, of course, I don't want that to happen. I want things to keep going up. Uh, so it could just be convenient for me to think that and believe that. But as objectively and honestly as I can, that's that's my perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I heard something on my first million podcast once that has, has really stuck with me. Uh, they were talking about how like the future of work and what it's going to look like. And their theory was the future of work, like each new generation of work. And, you know, this is like very generalized, like basically knowledge work, um, looks like playing video games to previous generations. Mm. So they're talking about, they're like, yeah, my parents, uh, you know, their, their parents like worked in, you know, fields or factories or whatever. And then they worked in like offices and, you know, had air conditioning and Mm. it was like, yeah, uh, you know, th- their parents couldn't understand that. And then it's like, it's like now, like I 
sit at home on my couch in my underwear on my laptop and you know and work <laughs> and my parents are like what the hell are you doing <laughs> right exactly and so they're, and they're we're trying to at, at everyone before us yeah we're like you're tweeting memes and you're you know exactly. minting nfts but yeah. exactly yeah it, yeah so i don't know uh, i I'm definitely someone who is like more skeptical and I would say pessimistic <laughs> by nature. Um, but try to keep an open mind, especially like listening to, you know, stuff like that where it's like, yeah, I don't know, maybe it could work out. So, but no, I didn't, I didn't Comes get to the dark side, Chris the constitution. Dow. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Join us. You'll eventually yeah. come over to the dark side. It's a matter of time. Well, the funny thing is, um, I got it. I got into Bitcoin in 2012 and bought it when it was two hundred dollars. Right. A Bitcoin. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh. And there was a run. It ran up to a thousand, and then I started. That was like when altcoins first started coming out, and I was like getting into like day trading those, and I had no idea what I was doing, and was like basically when it was all said and done, like I ended up breaking even, which like looking back mm. on it now is like, again, it's like what you're saying before. It's like oh, if I had just you know, bought a hundred Bitcoins at $200 each and just sat on it. <laughs> but you know, you, can, you can't do that with hindsight. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been harder for me to get back into now. Cause I'm like, cause there were, there were like so many scams back then that I, I had crypto insights that got taken oh, down. Yeah. And, um, so now I just feel like everything's a scam, but clearly it's it's still grown in the last 10 years so well i think i was listening to the uh the all in podcast with um all those rich billionaire guys <laughs> and um <laughs> and they were talking about how they're like kind of the same thing where uh, whoever i forget who it was it was like maybe friedberg or Spinks or something but he was like you know ah like it's just i don't get it i don't understand it like it always feels like a scam and they were like, like it was, it was, there was something like you, if you trace back like all the ICOs from like 2010 to 2016 or 17 or even 18 or something like that. And it was like something crazy, like 80 to 85% ended up being scams. Mm -hmm. And, and then like, you know, 10 of that other 15%. So like really like two thirds of the other 15% that wasn't a scam, like didn't go anywhere. And then it was like, you know, a fraction of that 5% ended up doing, you know, really well, or was like still around here today. It's like, you know, Ethereum and, uh, and like a couple other small ones. And then like, but then there's this new generation and now like it's reverse, you know, it's like 85% are legit and 15% are scams. And then like every generation, there's going to be like a smaller number of scams because it gets harder and harder to actually pull off. So now we're this like next generation, it's a lot more functional and legit, but, uh, I, I totally get it. Yeah. It also like, it is, uh, they've talked about this on that podcast too. It's like, it is a full-time job to understand all of it and to really feel like oh, you're yeah. making smart moves, uh, and not just getting lucky and, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't like that out of control feeling like I just like, all right, I'm, I'm sitting on the sidelines. I, I see it all going on, but I'm just going to be over here, like <laughs> trying to build SAS and <laughs> be in control there. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, again, I think also too going back to my, my note about gambling when I was in Vegas and, uh, winning and losing money playing poker, like it doesn't really feel like, you know, a free $7,000. Like, great. But then I'm like, okay, I can't just like do that again. You know, like I, I would hate mm -hmm. to feel like what's the next flip I'm going to do and what's the next mm -hmm. big break I'm going to get just to, because it really is a full-time job and some people do it and they're fine living that way. I am not, I'm like, so tip of the iceberg. I pretty much just like follow and copy like three people and all, everything that I know is basically just from following people on Twitter, 
it was like very, very little. I'm not even really active in any, any discords, <laughs> which is like where most everything happens in the whole crypto universe. Um, cause yeah, it's super overwhelming and especially, I mean, I'm not technical at all. And so we're talking about like smart contracts and code and like all these different mechanics of how these projects work. And it takes me a long time to really wrap my head around a lot of it. I was, I've been researching sort of the DeFi 2.0 projects. There's one called, uh, Olympus Dow and another called Tokmak. And, um, I had to read like five or six articles and watch two or three YouTube videos and each one just to like barely <laughs> feel like I know that I can like regurgitate what the value is for each one and why it's legit and it's not a scam. And this is going to make the next sort of big one to, to, to hitch my, myself onto. But, uh, yeah, it's a lot. Can I ask you for the synopsis <laughs> for those two? Yeah. Put you on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of like DeFi 1.0 projects, which were, um, like compound, um, even actually, so like De- DeFi 2.0 was like, or uh, 0.0 was like Uniswap and Sushi and basically like all the decentralized exchanges, which are ba- basically like uh, what we call like liquidity providers or automated market market makers where they allow you to swap basically. And they just like provide sort of like the infrastructure to do stuff on. And then there was like the 1.0 projects, which were like Aave and Compound, um, and a couple of others. And they were sort of like this layer on top of the infrastructure that allowed you to stake and borrow and lend, but it was still very like a, a manual process and pretty limited because basically what would happen is there would be like these big kind of pops in the token price as they incentivize liquidity on their project to then go and stake. But then there was like no real loyalty or reason to stick around because someone new project could come around offer even larger staking rewards or whatever it was, you know, liquidity or sort of token rewards. And then everyone just leaves because there's no incentive to stay. And so you see like these big kind of like pops. Uh, and then over time, everything kind of levels out to a base, you know, reasonable APR rate. Uh, and the cycle rinses to repeat. So this whole DeFi 2.0 is basically finding these mechanisms and reasons to incentivize loyalty so that there isn't a big pop and that it's a much more gradual, uh, kind of linear slash exponential rise, both in the token price, but also in their actual rewards. So they can offer a high staking reward, but that also, uh, won't incentivize people to fork that project and then start a new one because they'll also incentivize more long-term behavior. Um, so basically like this Olympus Dow one, it's kind of like this self-perpetuating cycle where, uh, where you stake, but then they also burn and reward people for, uh, for unstaking. So it's kind of like this, like it it levels out. So it's never going to be like this really like up and down kind of model. And it's the same thing with, uh, with Tokmak where basically you, you stake a, like a, a single kind of cornerstone asset like Ethereum or USDC or something like that. And then that gives you the, the toke token, and then you can use that to vote on which, um, they call them reactors. <laughs> Crypto always like, they have, wow. like everything's themed. Uh, so like you, like you vote on a reactor and then that will go and stake your money and give your awards native to whatever, project that is, whether it's like Alchemix or another mechanism, another project. Uh, so anyways, DeFi 2.0 is all about these long-term incentives and rewards to create a lot more loyalty and basically to take, take more advantage of like the network effects so that the more people on the project, the higher the rewards, but also like the value is in how many people are in it and staked not just in what that platform is offering. So this way, the, the more people, the higher the reward, the less people, the less reward. So it incentivizes people to stick around and to kind of put all their eggs in one basket and, and stick with it for a long time. Hmm. And I know I used a lot of language like staking and 
Yeah, other things that probably don't make a ton of sense. (laughs) Right. I know that's about like as first principles as I can make it. Yeah. Uh, that's going super deep down the rabbit hole. Uh, I'm, I'm impressed. (laughs) It's a lot. Again, that's, that's after hours and hours of me reading and watching and I still can't (laughs) articulate it super well. Uh, a lot of it is really just me copying other people who I know are smarter and or like looking under the hood, uh, and or have like already like been there and done that and sort of like, you know, they were early on taking the risk on it and now they're like, all right, everyone is safe. You can move over. Like, <laughs> look what we're all doing now that, you know, there isn't, hasn't been any sort of scam or rug pull or crazy shenanigans going on. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's worked out so far for you worked out pretty well it's worked out <laughs> yeah yeah it's worked out i really haven't had any like major losers i definitely like left some money on the table with some things um but it's all been very like gradual which has been nice so only up from here cool well we should probably cap it there we were talking about how it's gonna be a short episode and now of course i have to talk about crypto it's probably one of our longer ones. <laughs> so if you've made it, this far, make it over an hour, thanks for sticking around. Yeah. And, uh, we'll have all the links and mentions in the show notes. If you have a question for us, feel free to drop it in zip message. We've got a link right to it. You can uh, do your audio video or just text and we'll see you next time.